post every day for about eight months straight. I go from zero followers to 200,000. And we did that. Basically, I proved my customer wrong. I'm Rudy Dogum, and this is Wholesome Crypto. Here, I speak with crypto experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs to find out what personally led them to the path of cryptocurrency. Welcome, Porter, to the Wholesome Crypto Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, thank you. I'm excited. Yeah, of course. And I know that you're working a lot with ZK Proofs and you're just a mathematician. It's your love, it's your passion, and you're definitely going to be able to explain it to me and the audience much better than I can explain math. But before we get into all that fun jazz, I want to know where was Porter before even hearing about cryptocurrencies and cryptography as a whole? What were you doing? Yeah. Uh, so we have to go pretty far back because I first heard about uh, Bitcoin in high school. Uh, when I was really little, I always liked math. Math was my favorite subject. Uh, it kind of just became my thing because I liked that there were right answers. And if you, you know, got the right answer, no one could disagree with you or tell yeah. you otherwise. <laughs> so that was pretty nice. And you can also like see your progress very easily. Um, and so I did yeah, math competitions all growing up, a bunch of math team. I, I still love math. It's an awesome subject. And Dude. even though it's not always like, you don't need to know tons of math for some of this stuff, but mm -hmm. it's been a nice foundation for everything else. Did you have like your family or anyone close to you that kind of was a mathematician themselves and that's where you got it from? Or is this something that was just Porter? And that's what you wanted to do. <laughs> it kind of just happened. I mean, both of my parents are very smart. Like my mom's a lawyer. My dad uh, does business stuff. Um, he studied mechanical engineering in college. Uh, but no one's a direct mathematician. I just kind of latched on. <laughs> yeah. And then as you were getting into that, you, that was mostly high school, kicking ass in math competitions. Um, in college or university, I'm assuming you studied more math? Yeah. Yeah. I went to Harvey Mudd College. I studied math and computer science because um, I, I kind of realized that I can learn math on my own pretty easily. I think it's pretty fun. I enjoy just like finding some good resources and working through it. But computer science, I like needed the teachers, needed the homework, needed sort of all the college help that you get. So it was good to study both. So were you interested in tech at all? I mean, math doesn't necessarily have to mean technology, right? Like it can math everywhere. You can just solve equations on paper if you really want to. So was there a part of you that was really interested in tech? Was it kind of like correlating? It was mostly that I knew that I did not want to be like a math researcher forever. Like I didn't want to spend a ton of years getting a PhD and then going to be a professor. Like I kind of knew I wanted to do something a little more hands-on and applied. There's kind of a joke in the math world that everything in math will be useful in 100 years because <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll find some application for it later. And yep. I've always kind of known that I wanted to get my hands on and find some applications and do stuff now. Nice. And in the computer science world, were you like also trying to do web development or kind of just back end? Yeah, it was logic? just like theoretical computer science in college, um, a lot more back end. Uh, I still, yeah, don't really know how web websites work. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, uh, it's all just math anyways, right? Um, so in high school, when you when you first heard about cryptocurrencies or Bitcoin, 
Was it a friend that told you about this or your own research? Uh, it was a friend, uh, my friend Ishan. We actually had a Minecraft server together. And nice. we had long, long debates about uh, when we were accepting like donations and payments on the Minecraft server, whether we should accept Bitcoin. And we went back and forth. I'm like, hey, it's new. It seems pretty cool. But it's kind of on the internet. Like, how does that even work? Um, and what we eventually decided on is that even if it's cool, it's too obscure and nobody's going to use it. And so, like, we're not uh... going to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> The math problem, right? No one's going to use it now, but maybe later. Yeah, yeah. So, but did it make sense to you when you were like reading about it? I mean, obviously it was just online money, but the the architecture behind how Bitcoin is created and how it works, did that make sense to you? Was that exciting for you? It was super exciting. That was one of the things that we debated was like, how is it even real? Because we immediately were thinking about like, in my mind, you hear Bitcoin, and without any explanation, you imagine coins on the internet. And so how do you stop from just, like, copying one coin and pasting it, and now you have two? Like, how do you stop the double spend problem? And I don't think I fully grasped all the details in high school, but it was something that we were kind of thinking about and trying to figure out, like, how does this actually like, prevent double spends? And yeah. so I knew it was interesting. I wouldn't say I, like, grasped every detail yet, but I knew it was yeah. cool. Same. I kind of, when I first read about it, I was like, I get what it's doing, but I don't understand how, but I, I, I can see this problem and I can see that it's needing to be solved and I can see Bitcoin solving it. So great. I'm in. <laughs> um, did you, did you continue like following along cryptocurrencies from that time period or did you just let it go, forget about it? And then it came back to another time. Yeah, I kind of let it go for a while, and then I was late in college. I had a friend who pretty much every day was telling me, like, Porter, you got to get into Ethereum. Like, you should just learn Solidity. Like, that could be your first job. But uh, I'd kind of gotten into cybersecurity also. Like, I had a big interest in it, and so I wanted to go work in that first. So that ended up being my first job, and it was only... Few, like two or three years ago that I finally made the switch to um, actual cryptocurrency. So it took me from start to finish like seven or eight years before I really got into it. Yeah. And you, I, mean, I know you like you have a pretty big following on TikTok explaining math. How'd you get started on that? Like, why <laughs> did you want to, why did you want to teach math? It's, it's hard enough to like, for me to digest and comprehend and do the equations by myself. Like I did electrical engineering, so I had a lot of math in my schooling, but just explaining it to myself and then like trying to tell other people, it's just a whole other level. Yeah. Uh, the TikTok's a whole fun story. Uh, I went to some math camps when I was younger, and then I ended up during college uh, teaching at the same math camp that I attended as a student. So that was kind of a fun like full circle moment for me. Uh, but so I, I got some teaching skills there, and I kind of realized... It's like something I feel like everyone knows, but that if you teach something, you start understanding it better, where it forces you to like really, really understand it because now you yeah. have to explain it. Uh, the TikTok thing was just a bet with my cousin. <laughs> it was Christmas dinner one year and we were just joking around and he was saying like, oh, it's so hard to be an influencer. And I was like, I don't think it's that hard. Like, I bet I could do it. <laughs> I'm going to prove you wrong. <laughs> and so... Uh, 
yeah, that's how I post every day for about eight months straight. I go from zero followers to 200,000 and did that. Basically, I proved my customer wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so funny because you, you're just doing it to kind of prove your customer wrong. And what, I guess it wasn't a surprise for you then for hitting 200,000. <laughs> like you, I would say it's a surprise if I get 200,000 followers. I'm like, yeah, finally I did it. But the SDO was like, yeah, that's what I thought was going to happen. <laughs> it, it was, I don't know, it was kind of funny how it worked. Because more or less, like I watched on TikTok at the time, it was a little earlier. There were not very many educational resources on there yet. Like there's a lot of just people dancing. And so yeah. I kind of knew I could like make better explanations of some of this stuff. Um, and so I had a feeling I could do well. But then... It is weird just seeing the number go up every day and getting more and more followers and being like, like it's hard to even understand how many people 200,000 is. <laughs> like, yeah. It, it's hard to remember that those are like, it's, it's all real. It's crazy. Yeah. It's like you're on an auditorium full of 200,000 people. I think I've only yeah. largest space I've been in with like the most amount of people might've been like, Hundred thousand, like at a concert or something. Yeah, that's a lot of people. It's like oh, it the is. crowd is wild, and two hundred thousand <laughs> is a whole other animal. Yeah, that's. And do you come up with the content on your own? I'm guessing also fan questions come up. Yeah, sometimes fan questions come up. People do like suggest topics. Be like, hey, could you please explain this? Uh, but my main thesis was just if I find something interesting, then. Like I'll I'll talk about it, and it turns out other people also find that interesting, and so yeah, pretty much just whatever cool. Sometimes it was math, sometimes it was like cryptocurrency related. Um, anything I thought was interesting, I just tried to give like the best, like most detailed explanation I could give in sixty seconds. <laughs> and they're all sixty seconds, right, or yeah. under? Yeah, nice. that's yeah. You got to keep their attention span, especially with math. Yeah. So. But this is still before you started talking about uh, cryptocurrencies. It involved cryptography, though? Yeah, I, I had a few posts on it, but I wasn't working in the field yet because um, mm -hmm. it was something I was kind of keeping my eye on just as since I've liked cryptography for so long. All, all the cool stuff, like I said, all the cool cryptography is happening in blockchain. Yeah, it is. And it's like... Like we had a crypto uh, cryptography with like um, different hashes, the like hashes and RSA uh, cryptography and like rawing or zipping files, all those encryption methods or blocking passwords. But this is like, I think it's the first time it's become mainstream language, like cryptocurrencies, cryptography, like everything's encrypted. No one can see it's all pseudonymous or anonymous. And it's just language that's always existed, but now it's really hitting uh, mainstream vocabulary and i think it's an amazing thing to actually you know have people excited about it and ask you like order do you feel like you have a now like a new found superpower like yes finally i can explain these things that everyone's asking about like do you <laughs> see more do you see more of it coming up yeah i do feel i've always said that i feel kind of lucky because like i took my first cryptography class in stanford in 2013 and so, like, I've been interested in all of these topics for so long. And suddenly, it's just, like, the biggest thing in the world. <laughs> it's not like I planned that. It just kind of, like, <laughs> happened. So Yeah. 
it's great <laughs> to see how popular it is. Yeah. And now that you, um, now that you're kind of like focusing more into cryptocurrencies, I guess, what was the turning point to go from just cryptography to cryptocurrency and crypt cryptography? Uh, and I worked at my first job out of college for like three and a half years or so. And I think I was just kind of looking for a change. Like I kind of learned how to do that job and was looking for something different. And um, I don't know, it just felt like something I should go try. It just seemed exciting. And like a lot of smart people I knew were kind of in the field and um, yeah, that that was just the main things I wanted to see like uh, in traditional cybersecurity, a lot of the cryptography is like the very standard stuff. So like hmm. a lot of big corporations and governments, like they're only going to want to use like RSA, like SHA-256, like very standardized, very old algorithms. And sort of once you, you know, work with those enough times, you can really, all right, like, let's see something new. So. Have you, you don't have to name the companies, but have you ever worked with companies and you're, you're just like, why, why are you using this? Like, this is not safe. <laughs> like, please stop. It, it does happen occasionally. A lot of times it'll, they'll start with something that's good and then they'll try and like make some changes to like make it run faster or like, you know, suit their specific use case. And it's usually the like implementation is done in a way that's just like throws everything off. <laughs> yeah. And if you miss one point of it, it can just expose everything or have exposed for a brief period of time. And then the whole right. cryptography session is like not worth anything. <laughs> yeah. So do you, do you care for like any specific blockchains or any blockchains that kind of get you more excited than others or are you kind of agnostic and hoping hoping the battle between them settles so out somehow i do have just a huge interest in like the blockchain layers themselves um smart contracts on top are cool but i think we're still figuring out like how should like the base blockchains work at all <laughs> and then interestingly because of like the first security company that I joined um, in blockchain, blockchain security, we did a lot of work on Solana and Near and Algorand and several other chains that are like not Ethereum based. Like mm -hmm. we worked on just all the weird stuff, like all the other stuff. I, it was like a really interesting perspective because I got to see like, okay, here are these new technologies. In a lot of ways, each of them has some improvement on what's existed before, um, but everyone still uses Ethereum. So uh, trying to yeah. figure out why like these things with some slightly better, at least technology, in my opinion, aren't used as much. It's kind of fun. Interesting. And it's like, well, it's like the famous trilemma, right? Of decentralization, scalability, and security. And I guess, I guess those other chains might not have as much decentralization as Ethereum or scalability as something else. So it's kind of like which one hits home and also popularity. I mean, first mover advantage is a big deal in the crypto space. I mean, yes, it makes a big difference and being reliably up, like I know Solana and, um, other chain was there that just keeps going down <laughs> yeah. and it's just like hey like 
this is my, my money is supposed to run on this. Like, don't go, you're not supposed to go down. <laughs> yeah. But, but do you like focus a lot on like the crypto Twitter, the crypto drama of the industry in the space? Or you just ignore that? Yeah, I, I love staying up to date on crypto Twitter. Like that's <laughs> the best place to get like all the news. Um, obviously for security, like even if I'm not like, yeah, or I like to keep up with every single like major incident, you know, whether it's kind of directly related to me or not. Like, I just want to hear yeah. like, how did it happen? What went wrong? Like, what can we do to fix it next time? And so, yeah, crypto Twitter is fun. <laughs> do you have any people that you, I guess, specifically follow that you recommend others to follow about security and cryptography? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a, a variety of people that have my favorite like CK influencers include like David Wong from Nina Protocol, uh, Pratyush Mishra from Alio, uh, Daira from Zcash, like the, there's a variety, and Justin Drake from Ethereum. So those yeah. are some good ones. Yeah, Zcash and like Monero are interesting protocols. I feel like that should be used more because they're just built on ZK and I know Ethereum is adding that layer on top, but like, I guess this is where you can start helping me understand more about ZK. What are the major benefits of ZK when it's built as like layer one part of the blockchain versus using Ethereum, then having a ZK layer on top of it? Yeah. Uh -huh. Well, I'll start by just saying that like the way to understand like ZK and when you would ever want to use ZK is just replace every time you hear ZK with verifiable computation. Like the whole thing, you're just verifying that some computation was done correctly. So if someone else does the computation, you verify it. Um, the sort of difference between having it like natively on Ethereum, you can have something like Tornado Cash where you set up privacy directly on Ethereum. The main reason for a lot of the ZKVMs and the rollups and stuff is to get the scalability property because it's actually easier to verify stuff than it is to prove it. And so you can have all the big work be on the prover side, and then Ethereum can just do a quick verification. So you get nice scaling. So then we'll dissect into that, into that more. That proving side and verifying side. So what what constitutes like how, how can we trust that it's been proved without you know seeing it and how can ethereum or any other chain like verify something that's been proved yeah so the kind of way the proof works just at a high level is you're going to take the code that you want to prove that's been done correctly you're going to turn that into a, some logic gates compress it or like condense it down to logic gates, turn the logic gates into just a polynomial. And then you prove facts about the polynomial. And sort of the way, usually there's, not always, but typically there's a setup process ahead of time. And so it's not like, you know, nothing, as the verifier, you don't know anything about what's coming in. As the verifier, you do know, here's kind of the outline of the computation that should be done. and what you're missing is just the inputs or a couple of the private inputs uh, if there's actual ZK properties. Sometimes a lot of the actual ZK rollups don't even use privacy. And so you know all the inputs, they're just kind of using the scalability thing. 
Um, Interesting. That's, um, and I guess why did it take so long for us to start using it so much? I mean, it kind of feels like that's the natural path for crypto. Yeah. Is it? It's so the first ZK paper, I believe, was in like around 1970 by, um, uh, what's your name? One of the Shafi Goldwasser from MIT and um, two others. And basically at the time, they were like, hey, if you had like, I don't know, some sort of supercomputer that you didn't trust, like you could go verify it very cheaply somewhere else. But at the time, like the the main limiting factor in computation wasn't like the compute resources. Basically, everyone has tons of compute. So if I want to verify you did some computation correctly, mostly I'd just go repeat it myself. <laughs> like that's yeah. that's kind of the naive way to do this. And so <laughs> it wasn't until probably developments in the cloud would be a good reason to start using this or developments in blockchain where you have like a very constrained resource. Like you need one side to be constrained to even like want to do this. If both sides have good compute, then there's no need for this really. Interesting. Yeah. And like, I guess for the blockchain reasons, everything is like, we're just reading transactions now, like on my phone or on ether scan. Like I'm just, okay, this happened. It checks out, but the miners or the stakers are the ones now going through the computational process of proving this out. And, and it's kind of a huge competition between all these different rollups. Do you, do you foresee, or have you studied them enough to understand, like, are they all doing the same exact thing? And just, if they were all just working together on it, it'd be much, much more efficient. <laughs> Or do you think like there's valid reason to having so many different rollups? So, well, I do think there's only going to be a couple winners at the end of the day. I think there are huge network effects to this. And so just a couple top ones are going to end up being used. There are some fairly significant technical differences between them. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, for the user experience, they're I, I think eventually most blockchain will just be abstracted away and users won't really worry about any of the details. And so uh, even stuff like using rollup versus using layer one, they'll notice the price difference and maybe the speed difference. That's like pretty much all they should have to think about. Uh, uh, the, Vitalik wrote a really good blog post actually on the, dif the difference between all the rollups. One sort of technical way to think about it is... So in the EVM, some rollups, they let you write solidity code, and then that's just going to work. But EVM actually runs on bytecode, which is what solidity is compiled down to. And some rollups mm -hmm. let you run the bytecode itself. So that's like maximally EVM compatible. Some are just solidity compatible. And then some are just like ZKVMs that aren't solidity or like bytecode compatible. And so it's kind of like, how closely do you tie your rollup to exactly how Ethereum works? And the the sort of trade-off is like, if you don't tie every detail into Ethereum, you might be able to build something that's like more for ZK and might be able to go faster, but it's less exactly like Ethereum. Gotcha. And 
was that you, this is something you've been learning for the past, I guess, a few months now, because that's when you first moved over, or have you been like also following this pretty heavily before moving full-time crypto? Um, I would say the ZK, I'd really been dedicating myself to it for about a year now. Um, and then the big swing for me was last fall, um, 2022, I had learned enough about ZK and some of my friends were kind of asking me some questions and they asked me to put a class together. I ended up tweeting about it and just saying like, Hey, I'm running a ZK class. If anyone wants to join, let me know. And a thousand people joined. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, snap. <laughs> like, you know, I kind of just learned this like uh, on my own. Like, I, I think I have a good idea of it. But suddenly this is a, this is a lot of people joining. <laughs> um, and so that was like super high pressure for, because I wanted to like make, <laughs> you know, good explanations. Like, I wanted to teach it well. And so that was a really fun experience. But that was like the crunch mode for me where I think I went from like intermediate to like, okay, I have a pretty good understanding now because it's just all I did every single day for that time period. Wow. And uh, did the class, you, you completed the class? Did it go off? Like how, how, how'd it go? <laughs> yeah, it was pretty good. Uh, I ended up doing like six one hour sessions um, over a couple of weeks and people liked it. I think it was, it's still a very nice, like beginner friendly introduction. One of my sort of hot takes and reasons why I did the class at all is that most ZK resources are not terribly beginner friendly. Mm -hmm. I think there's like, there's a lot of good professors out there, but unless you have like a pretty strong math background and are just comfortable with like a bunch of symbols and like, this is, they kind of assume that you have a lot of background knowledge ahead of time. And then even then they approach it very formally. And yeah. I think a lot of people just kind of want the intuition for it. So I tried to keep my class like a little fast and rugged. I probably get some, you know, skip over some details, <laughs> But it gives good people like a, a good enough introduction that they can kind of like get their hands on the field and start to understand more. Nice. And this is all still available online? Yeah, it's on YouTube. Nice. So you can definitely check that out if you're interested in seeing or learning more about ZK folks. Um, so then you said that, yeah, like about two, three months ago, you joined a company, you joined FIO, and you work as an auditor for them and how has that been like how has it been working for them and how is it like actually just getting all this influx of smart contracts to review <laughs> it's great yeah i love fio it's f-y-e-o fio and stands for for your eyes only it's a james bond reference <laughs> uh there's yeah just a bunch of great security people uh, i knew a lot of them before i even joined the company so the team's awesome. It's really great to just work with friends. There's so many times where it's like, it's just nice to talk it through a problem with someone yeah. <laughs> and instead of having to figure out everything on my own. Uh, yeah. And it's been great. So yeah, we do all kinds of different security audits pretty much across the ecosystem. Um, layer ones, layer twos, ZK, smart contracts, you know, oracles, yeah. bridges. <laughs> There's no shortage to like things to review and make sure it's proven uh, properly. Yes. And so in, in your role, do you mostly just literally read code 
and read what they use, or do you kind of create uh, quality tests, like automated testing? Yeah, it's a bit of a combination. I would say I do spend a lot of time just manually reading the code because that's really still the best way to catch as many errors as possible. Mm -hmm. And like uh, for some of the ZK EVMs, like their code base is like several hundred thousand lines of code. So that wow. starts to be like, maybe I can't read every line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but for most of the projects, uh, it's small enough that you can read every single line still. And then kind of the way it works is like we start to see like recurring vulnerabilities and kind of build tools to automate and catch those help out. Is there one, I don't know if you're allowed to say this either, but is there any reoccurring vulnerability that you can just like let us know that if anyone here is watching what they should look out for? <laughs> uh, I mean, there, there are a ton of like common stuff. I think just integer overflows are always a funny one for me because it's like computers can only store so many bits at a time. And I think like, I don't know, my parents would never think about this, <laughs> but if you, if you have to shove every number into like eight bits, what happens if you, you know, go over that? And typically a lot of computers will just wrap around and not tell you anything was like wrong. You probably already know most of this, mm -hmm. but I'm just explaining. Um, and this actually happened on Bitcoin like 10 years ago. It's one of Bitcoin's only ever like rollbacks. They went backwards like 50 blocks and like hard forked. And because someone managed to create a transaction where they basically went negative, but negative numbers wrap around back to like a bajillion dollars. And so there was not 23 million Bitcoin anymore. There was like 23 trillion. And this one dude had like, 22 trillion of it <laughs> oh, and wow. so they like fix the bug in the blockchain and then like roll it back so the guy doesn't have the money anymore <laughs> those that's, just always crack me up that's amazing like how that's the beauty of the blockchain right like it's, it's still written by human beings it doesn't necessarily mean that it's perfect like it's code but i see it as magic code but it's it's written by humans Things can go wrong, and sometimes we need to just fork and fix it. And hopefully, it doesn't happen often or at all, but it has happened. Some even Ethereum have their own fork. Um, I'm sure plenty of others will have forks too. Just it's kind of natural. And yeah, like that's that's amazing how like things no one thinks about. Just like I, I didn't know that like integer overflows like I, I know like there's eight bits and i take try stuff every number into but if it gets too much like i i don't know technically how that happens so thank you for sharing um now that you're spending more time in the crypto you're seeing the industry you're loving what you're doing what is a crypto pet peeve that you have hmm. <laughs> that's a good one hmm I do think one pet peeve is that um, uh, a lot of the like influencers who talk about crypto only talk about price uh, and yeah. like, I just, I can't be bothered. Like I tried going on like crypto YouTube, like I, crypto Twitter, I feel like my bubble is like very technical. It's a lot of the builders, a lot of the engineers. Um, but then yeah, like crypto YouTube, I like searched like, Hey, can anyone help me understand this protocol? 
And like every video will just be like, yes, the price is great. You should buy. Like it's all just financial <laughs> advice. Like the number is going to go up a thousand X. You're going to be rich. Just buy this random coin. It's like, that didn't really tell me anything. <laughs> so it's kind of my pet peeve is that it's not as much technical information in the world. Um, Absolutely. I, I feel the same way. It's just like, even like, you know, the, big good influencers still talk about price a lot and it's it's hard not to i mean obviously people put money into it they imagine themselves living their lives off of their crypto riches or like staking as much as they can to passively make income it's, it's all great but also it's something to think about like if you're going to put your money into it at least know why you're putting your money there or like how it kind of works because you don't just arbitrarily put money into apple like you kind of know what they're doing or right. like put money into like these other um stock market companies it's just like oh you kind of know what they're doing with same principle goes with cryptocurrencies you kind of want to know what they're doing otherwise you're gonna get screwed yeah. and it's pretty easy to get screwed in crypto um yeah then i guess for you and you're building your following um where can some people find you who want to learn more about different ZK proofs or just learning about uh, math and security in general? Uh, Twitter is always good. Uh, DMs are open. Anyone can message me and try and respond to, or I do respond to everyone. Um, so it's always fun. Yeah. I like, actually, when I did my class and had like a thousand people, I messaged all 1,000 people individually and wow. checked in on them. Not all at once. It took me uh, like how long the course you? of the class, but I, I dedicated like a couple hours to it every day. Just like send some real messages. Because it's it, one, it's helpful to know like who your audience is. Like how much background knowledge do you have? What topics do you most want to hear about? Stuff like that. Um, but then it's also just nice making friends. Like it's kind of always a good part of everything is like the people. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you, do you plan on making a second course or like a revamp? So I don't think I'll format it as like a course. Cause it was pretty rough for me to like every three days be coming out with a new video on top of like my full-time job. And so yeah. I kind of, needed a little break and I had some other things in life happening and so like I changed jobs and um now I've kind of reset and I'm gonna just start making some YouTube videos again, TikToks, um just get back to but just kind of at my own pace. So yeah what what does I mentioning like your just time and keeping track of that. So like what what else do you do other than math and like trying to find uh security flaws and in, in crypto in general like what does Porter do outside of this work industry <laughs> yeah uh, i like to read a lot of books um so that's another kind of the the nerdier side still <laughs> <laughs> what kind um, of books uh just like straight up math textbooks sometimes or recently i've been in kind of like a biography binge so I read like cool. Steve Jobs' uh, book by Walter Isaacson. Um, like company founders' books are always pretty interesting to me. Gotcha. Um, hearing about you know people's stories and like how you possibly built something that big. It's pretty nuts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I would ask like, um, 
your hobbies. Yeah. So I played soccer growing up. That was my main sport. Um, I still love soccer. Watch all the World Cups. I actually went to the World Cup in Brazil in 2014. That was uh, super fun. Just for a couple games. Um, I mean, it's awesome. Yeah, it was great. I got to see Messi play, and so that was like, you know, lifetime. <laughs> yeah. Something I wanted to happen. It's the greatest. I must be um, happy now because he won the World Cup. Or Argentina I did. I was. I was <laughs> cheering for him the whole time. Um, so played a lot of soccer growing up. I went to school in California, and in California, everyone plays Ultimate Frisbee. I love I, Ultimate. <laughs> I was pretty skeptical at first because I was like, listen, I can't even throw a Frisbee. How am I possibly going to be on this team? But apparently, like, some people will be good at throwing, and if I'm just tall and fast, I can go catch it. And that <laughs> works pretty well. <laughs> to go catch and just throw it yeah yeah there's a pretty good um ultimate league or not, i mean like a crew in boston area so nice if, if you're ever around there yeah I'll let you know it'd be fun <laughs> uh yeah it's just like i always think about like it's tough to keep your mental health in check especially in the crypto scene because it is 24 7 and it's so easy to get sucked into discord and Twitter and all the news medias and YouTube and just like, it's kind of like, for me, I have to take a step back sometimes and just go for a walk and think or not think and, med and meditate. So it's like, that's what I love asking and learning about those type of things from you. It's just like, how, how could you like, I guess, what kind, what kind of advice could you give for others who are kind of burying their heads in the textbooks and they kind of just, maybe, I don't know if they need to or don't need to, but maybe they can get some advice from you and how to like reflect, take a step back and might be more beneficial for their end goal. Yeah. I think something that's worked really well for me is um, just making a little progress every day. And I graduated college. My uncle gave me a book called the compound effect. And I think there's a bunch of books that kind of have a similar message. It's like, if you just kind of improve like 1% every single day, then like you'll, be like unrecognizable like a few months from now you'll just know so much more and so like it's always i think people always underestimate how much they can do in the long term and like overestimate how much you'll get done today and so it always feels tough because you're like oh, i want to get all this all this done right now yeah but if you just kind of keep it going every day like the the progress adds up so much more quickly than you expect so i would Absolutely. say definitely like don't burn yourself out trying to do it all at once like be happy if you can just learn one more thing today learn one more thing tomorrow like, go really far absolutely and that goes for like yeah like for me experiencing that creating my podcast i'm like first episode all right Oh man, second episode, still <laughs> not much going on. And like now it's like up to like like 49 or 50. It's just like now I'm finally like, all right, things are getting more enjoyable. I have a good uh, flow going on. I'm meeting amazing people. And like I'm realizing that's like the best part and just uh, experiencing what it's like to grow an audience and appreciating people who do grow audience like it's not easy to achieve 200,000 followers or it's not easy to achieve right now I'm like 500 or something but like 500 period no, 500,000 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so it, it's just, it's also a fun experiment to learn like how people interact, engage, and how you can also present yourself better instead of just throwing empty content out that doesn't engage any audience members versus throwing genuine content out, which actually does engage people. Right. Like I joke that I won the bet with my cousin because I did become an influencer, but really he was right that it, it was way more work than I expected. <laughs> it's so hard. Like every, you know, single video trying to have something that's like entertaining and like your audience is going to appreciate like, and keeping them engaged. Like it all like just takes so much work. You have to be so thoughtful. It's such a different skill too than like mm-hmm. uh, solving math problems or like, very clearly defined problem, straightforward answer. And this is instead like you know, growing communities, just like totally different skill. Does your family, uh, they like, what are you doing for Like, why are you on this TikTok? <laughs> like, why are you in this crypto space? You're going to lose all your money. Like, do you ever feel like challenges? And was there a point where you're like, see, like it all makes sense now? Or are they still like <laughs> not belief? Yeah, definitely initially everyone was like what are, you, what are you doing on tiktok like focus on your job like <laughs> all of this um and now it's kind of funny because i've kind of taken a break from a lot of social media not in like a official way just i try and not spend nearly as much time i was on it like four or five six hours a day every single day wow. <laughs> now it's it's closer to like one hour it's much better <laughs> um but so, yeah, they, my, definitely some of my family was kind of late believers, but I think they've come around to it now. They're like, okay, okay, that's pretty cool. But they're, they're, not, they're not on board with crypto yet. <laughs> Every uh, time, like, FTX crashes, they're like, Porter, it's, it's okay if you need to get a new job. It's going to be fine. <laughs> like, Luna crashes, it's Porter, it's all right. You know, you had a good run in the industry. Like, it's all good. The U.S. is going to sue Coinbase. It's like, Porter, you know, it was a good try. Like, <laughs> every, like, bad thing they see in the news. It's all right, Porter. You find a new yeah. job. That's <laughs> a tough part. It is because everyone does come to me like, the same thing. So how's, how's crypto doing now? I'm like, crypto is great. It's the centralized exchanges and entities are doing terrible. That's that's the, exactly what crypto is trying to go against. So right. yeah, <laughs> it's going great. Yeah. Oh, man. And experiencing all this, like, I'll have to, like, ask the last question is, like, what is your favorite wholesome crypto moment? Something in the crypto industry that kind of, like, you're proud to be part of it and made you feel good and you love to, like, replicate, hopefully. Hmm. Uh, I think just connecting with all these people and helping build stuff, like, overall, like, everything is, like, if, if you talk to, like, more of the builders and the engineers, I think everyone's pretty wholesome. Um, you'll see some like technical debates between each other, but I think everyone does agree on like 99% of stuff. Um, one cool, wholesome thing they'll point out just because it's CK and cryptography is that a lot of, or not a lot, but some of the zero knowledge systems require what's called a trusted setup where more or less you just need some randomness at the beginning to like get started. But Mm -hmm. how do you know if something's actually random? So the kind of way it works is you let just everyone participate and just everyone gets to like add their own randomness in, like let everyone shuffle the deck of cards a little bit. Um, and so participating in the trusted setup always feels cool because it's like, yeah, I'm like adding randomness and then it's going to be like used forever. Like once this thing gets going. So 
that's cool it always feels pretty wholesome yeah i've noticed that when like i don't know some application applications i've used to create some encryption they're like just move your mouse a few times to create like a random event and that's like yeah i guess that's what that is yeah yeah well thank you so much porter and i really appreciate what you're doing what you like what you're giving back to the community it's definitely needed more education more power to knowledge because everything behind what we're investing in financially is behind that and it's important to understand what we're investing in and it's important to like learn as we can so everyone please follow porter twitter youtube i'll have all the notes underneath but again thank you so much cool thank you so much this was very wholesome <laughs> <laughs>